Fate would like to thank Colart for sponsoring this episode of Positive Space. A longtime supporter of Fate, Colart are the people behind companies such as Windsor & Newton, Liquitex, Conti, Reeves, and a whole host of others. Need an art supply? One of Colart's companies probably covers it. Find out more at colart.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. ready. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hello. I'm your host, Valerie Powell, and welcome to another installment of the Fate Podcast. Today, we have two guests that are ready to chat with you, Chris Ireland and Peter Reichardt, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves, tell you a little bit about where they're from, what they teach, and what they teach. Um, So, Peter, how about we start with you? Sure. All right. Thank you, Valerie. As Valerie mentioned, my name is Peter Reichart, and uh, I actually went to grad school with Valerie. We met at Washington State University, where I was studying printmaking. And from there, I am currently now an lecturer track instructor at South Dakota State University. I teach within the studio arts area within the School of Design. I primarily work Two-dimensionally, I kind of consider myself a drawer, if you want to call it that, which I I do, and I refer to my students to uh, call it that as well. Uh, But I I work a lot of, or I make a lot of representational work, a lot of which deals with an investigation into abstraction through processes like collage or manipulation or even material play. I think that's a, a, a right playing ground for creation and for discovery. In regards to what I teach primarily uh, within the foundations area, I do uh, 4-4 course load. So I teach uh, drawing one, both face-to-face and online. Uh, I also teach drawing two. I'm the primary figure drawing instructor there, and I teach a stacked course of beginning and advanced figure drawing. And then I teach painting one occasionally. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned this podcast is brought to us by Washington State University. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that could become true. We don't know. Um, all right. So, so Chris, who, who are you and what do you do? Uh, hello. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Valerie, again for inviting me to do this. Uh, my name is Chris Ireland. Uh, I am from, I'm currently teaching at uh, Tarleton State University and that's, um, it's in Stephenville, Texas. It's about it's about an hour and 20 minutes away from Fort Worth in the Southwest. I actually, uh, as with Peter, I, I met Valerie and Peter at Washington State um, as well. And, you know, we've, we've all been, we've all been to, uh, friends ever since, and I'm very happy for that. So currently, like I mentioned, I'm an associate professor of fine arts at Tarleton. This is actually my f- first uh, semester with this, this new title. So I'm, I was awarded tenure last spring. After about a year-long application process, uh, so it's it's I'm I'm pretty happy 
to be at this school. You know, it supports me in the arts. So my research is uh, in photography, digital media. Uh, I work mostly in images and video. Uh, a lot of my work is based on representations of like family, personal experience, narrative through the vernacular photography. I'm kind of, uh, uh, as a photographer, you know, I meet a lot of, I talk to a lot, a lot of other photographers about the fact that, you know, as a medium, there is, uh, it's, it's, it's in a sort of a state of transition, not necessarily from photo to digital, but just from, I guess a lot of photographers are, are, are intimidated by the idea that, you know, there's like 1.8 billion images uploaded a day and there's just such an influx of photography out there. So I'm kind of interested in how to deal with that. I'm interested in, uh, you know, how we organize that information. I use, I use that a lot in my work as well. So, yep. Great. And what do you teach specifically at Tarleton? In terms of foundations, I've taught I've taught a lot of things. I've taught three D three dimensional design, two dimensional design. Um, I've taught the intro to digital art class, uh, and I still I still do teach that. And I teach I teach all the intro to digital art courses and photography courses now. I don't have to do the sculpture or drawing courses as much anymore. So yeah, great. So it's a nice a nice mix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I interject in here real quick? I apologize, Chris, for not mentioning you in grad school, but remember, we also met in undergrad. You were a couple years mm-hmm. ahead of me, but uh, yeah, we go way back. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay, so you yep. guys met in undergrad. Curious. Cleveland, Ohio represent. Curious. And it's, it's so odd to me that, you know, Peter, you're from Texas, and you're now up in South Dakota teaching students up there. And Chris, you're from Cleveland, and you're down in Texas. Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... We've all we've all kind of shared similar locations. It's it's been that's true. That's true. Very yeah. True. Well, yeah. Well. Um. Well. And how did you guys? Um. I know you guys started teaching at, at Washington State, but um, in terms of doing like the whole TA thing, but what made you want to become professors and 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 teach in that realm? I guess I can let Peter take that first. Sort of well, why why did you start teaching? Well, I. I had some experience with it in undergrad. I got to, uh, I was fortunate enough to participate in a work study program that allowed me to teach to younger students on Saturdays. And, you know, it was a really kind of hectic experience, but it was really rewarding. And looking at paying for grad school, I, I really kind of geared my search towards schools that would allow me that opportunity to maybe, you know, TA a class. And Washington State University, you know, fit the bill for that. And it was an incredibly enriching experience for me, both personally as an artist and as, you know, kind of a budgeting uh, instructor. I found that the interaction with students was, you know, really rewarding, getting to see them grow and, you know, grow and develop their work. I felt that that kind of was something that started to inform my own work. So, that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Well, it's funny that Peter mentions the, sort of the, the financial implications of, of going to graduate school. I never thought I would be able to afford it. I was so far into debt from undergrad that it was a similar situation for me. My wife actually encouraged me to apply to grad school. In her experience, she got some scholarship funding, and she also got a TA as well. So I was really introduced by, like, from through her uh, to the idea of doing it, and that brought me to Washington State as well. They sent me a, an award letter stating I would be a teaching assistant, and when my wife was a teaching assistant at Oregon State University, uh, she was in the geoscience department, 
you know, it was under my impression that a TA meant like you would grade papers, help another help another teacher, you know, be in the class. There'd be like these large lecture classes and you'd be sort of the teacher's mm-hmm. helper. And I remember the first meeting I had with um, my professors at grad school. It was literally like three days before grad school started that I found out that I was the teacher of the class. <laughs> I, think I, I literally didn't know that until three days before class started. And I just had I think I panicked for three days straight. Not to mention, I had also, this other thing that happened my first uh, time teaching, my first day of class, I had to come into class, I was wearing bandages. You guys might remember this, but I got into a bike accident. Oh, that's right. I had bandages (laughs) up and down my arms, and I think, like, the first question that I got from a student was, like, you know, are you a burn victim, sir? (laughs) So I kind of just had to roll with it, Um, and and I guess that's how, you know, it's definitely how I got into it, and, and everything that Peter said is totally the same with me, like, just having that relationship, um, it's, it's such a, it's, it's so similar to a create the creative process as an artist, but it's so different too, because it's a shared experience. And I think that was a really like to, to be able to get out of your studio and share the things that you learned with other people in, and to sort of carry on a tradition too, because I'm always thinking about other teachers I've had and, 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 and you, you, or you can see them on like Ted talks or whatnot. You can see what other people are discussing and you can carry on that conversation in the classrooms that you're in. It's a, it's a very rewarding profession. I got to say pretty happy. Yeah. And it's been 10 years for, for us since, since we sort yeah. of started that, that journey. And so how do you guys feel like your way in which you've been teaching your particular style has, has grown or has adapted? Cause the students at Washington state, I'm just imagining are probably different than what you guys are experiencing at Tarleton or out or at South Dakota. I'll take this one. This is Peter. And sure, I I would agree. I think I don't want to compare students between one school and the other school, but uh, I certainly at a smaller uh, university than what Washington State was. And I think with that, the students have kind of a, a, a more of a connection to a, a, a smaller community. I think uh, there's a little bit of, of kind of an isolated aspect or maybe uh, a, a rural aspect to uh, the students here, which is great. They use it to their advantage. Um, but I would say probably the biggest thing that I, I've noticed as, as a difference between students now and students then is, you know, everyone's got the Internet in their pocket, you know. And so I think mm-hmm. that's actually transformed the way that students are learning. As far as my own approach to the class, it's it's definitely grown and adapted. And I certainly have tailored, you know, some projects to uh, an aptitude that I uh, feel here at SDSU over, you know, say what I would do at WSU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What are your thoughts, Chris? Well, I was thinking about what, what Peter said and he and he kind of summed up some of the some of the things I was going to I was thinking of saying um about, you know, being in a rural place as well. You know, we're kind of we're kind of slightly rural. I mean we're we're outside of Fort Worth, but we're very close. Um but we do get a lot of first generation college students. You know, they're they they take they, they may not have had like the art world education, whatever art world means, but like they, they may not have been as culturally exposed as, as some people that we know or, or they maybe that we were growing up. At the same time, they take a lot of pride in their school and they're very happy to be here. I, I, uh, just because, you know, for many of them, it's a, it's a big, it was a big challenge for their family, for, for them to be where they are. So I just, I remember my first day coming to Texas, I was just so blown away about how nice and mannered everybody was. Uh, in Texas, like I couldn't get them to stop calling me sir for like weeks. So 
it is different. Um, it's certainly a different culture. Um, but I think, uh, like Peter said, like we can use that to their advantage, to the advantage. And it's, it's been an advantage for my own growth as an artist and a person just to, just to experience it. Uh, and, um, I think mostly the difference when I think back on the students I had at WSU, it was 2006, like just the amount of change that's happened in youth culture, in technology, uh, you know, that, that I, th- I feel like is the bigger difference, uh, at least in terms of how I've had to adapt as a teacher. It's just so, so much has changed in 10 years, you know? Sure. And I mean, and you, you guys have both been involved in course development. I mean, I know, Peter, you've done stuff online and, and Chris, you've developed like entire programs um, at your university. And I'm, I'm just curious, like how, how, how has that worked and how, how have you gone about um, sort of knowing what the students need and then thinking about, okay, can, can you teach drawing online or can you do this? And how, how do you sort of go about investigating that kind of process? Sure. Um, and I guess kind of going off what Chris just said, you know, back in 2006, I think the majority of, of uh, any type of assessment or record within the course was done on paper and now most of it's all done online and so that's been a big change for me and you've mentioned the online class uh and i you know a lot of times when i tell someone that i'm going to teach drawing online or that i teach drawing online their first question is how um Mm -hmm. and so the really how came about through you know two years of trying to adapt that face-to-face studio experience to a more isolated experience for the student. You know, how could that translate into something that's equally as valuable and beneficial to the student and would yield results that would be on par or similar to what I get from actually face-to-face interaction with students. And so that, that really has been at the core of what I've been doing with the online drawing class, but also with my drawing class on campus. There's been a lot of adaptation that I've taken from the online course and brought back into the studio, uh, which has been, I think, beneficial for the students. It's been beneficial for me just as an instructor, because now I have a lot of resources that I can send students to online that they, uh, you know, that could supplement, say they miss a day or they need to uh, review a demo. Uh, I have that there for them. So that's that's been a, a great asset to me and a, a big part of what I've tried to implement in growing the drawing section and foundations here at SDSU. Great. And, and so you've like recorded all of your demos and you've, you've got all those files. And so you're just sort of uploading those for not only your online classes, but also your face-to-face courses. Yes. Yeah. So they, they share, I mean, certainly the, the studio classes that I teach on campus, uh, there's a little bit more freedom and a little bit of a change with some of the projects that we actually do together. But yeah, it's been a great asset. And for the students just to be able to have that expanding resource for that studio experience. Oh, great. Well, so Chris, what about your well, experience? I actually had a question for Peter. I was just curious because I was thinking about my university and how they've, and their role in online education. I was just wondering, Peter, like, did you, um, is the university still, I guess, like how, how much is online education a part of your studio art curriculum? And does the university see that as still a viable way of teaching studio art? Like has that has that is that been the, uh, how has that changed over the last few years? Like, well, it's 
Uh, sorry, there, there's definitely uh, an ongoing interest in it. So right now, currently, I think we teach, you know, one actual like studio course, which is drawing. Uh, we're developing a design and a painting course that's going to be, you know, maybe a few years down the way. But we also teach some of the computer courses and art appreciation courses and a digital photography mm-hmm online and really the the big push with the online education isn't to overcome studio space or you know costs for teaching on campus it's more looked at as a recruitment tool for bringing in students the drawing class that i teach right now is a uh i forget what they call it but anyways it's a it's a a dual actually they call it a dual credit which is open to high school seniors and juniors so it's a way for us to get out into some of the uh other you know states around us and work with high school students i had a student that was in italy that first summer that I taught. So we're, it's actually a way to connect to that kind of larger world outside of South Dakota for us. And that's, that's really curious because I, I, I would imagine that if anybody listens to this podcast, that, that there would be some that are, are, are curious about, you know, how do you even begin thinking about online stuff for drawing and, you know, what would be the pros and cons of that? I mean, are, are, are you feeling like there are some that are just really – some things that maybe you wish that you knew before you got involved, you know, if somebody was thinking about developing like an online drawing course? Well, I mean, certainly I wish that I knew a lot of things. I think that first semester was a, uh, that first course was a, a you know, kind of a, a, a test the waters, see, see what works, see what doesn't work. Uh, and the second time I taught it, there was a lot of improvements made, a lot of things that I didn't quite have the insight for or you know I couldn't quite anticipate because I've personally have never taken an online class but I think there's I guess what was the second part to that question oh I guess just um was there anything that you you know were there any particular you know pros and cons like if, if someone was thinking about doing an online course um in in drawing specifically you know are there things that you think they learn and it, it's more um productive to have an online course in in drawing Well, I think, you know, I would say that a fair amount of the feedback I got from students was really positive. I think students really appreciated the fact that they could set a schedule. uh, And the way that I developed the course was so that they had a period of time to execute, you know, a certain amount of a certain number of exercises. And, you know, there's weekly discussion boards and things like that. But I will say to anyone that's looking at developing an online course, get ready to write a lot and be very clear in your writing and your expectations for the student uh, or from the student. So that's, that's probably the biggest discovery that I had. I think I developed over, I don't know, over 125 pages of content of written content for the student to read through. And that's outside of like the actual like video demos and, you know, supplemental web resources that I'd have them look at. Oh, that's great. That's great. Cause yeah. I think sometimes it can be overwhelming, you know, to think, okay, I want to develop this or this would be a great program at, at my particular, you know, university. And then it just feels like, well, where do I start? And it's sort of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would suggest anyone looking at starting out, look at your, your face to face classes and then look at how you can adapt that to a descriptive objective for the student that they can set up and make themselves 
that was a that's the big part you know is having is it feasible that a student can do this in their own room or you know in their kitchen and so that was a big part of the challenge that's great well and do do you feel like the face-to-face courses and and drawing do you feel like the enrollment of those courses has gone down because they can also take it online I mean has that impacted the Um, face-to-face courses no, it actually hasn't, you know, surprisingly so. We have a fair amount of, of non-majors that take the Drawing One courses. It's an IGR required uh, or can count for an IGR required class. So a lot of students that are, you know, needing to fulfill a requirement look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, I can take that. So uh, we actually anticipated losing like a section of drawing on campus, but we ended up not. So we had the online class and all our other sections of drawing filled, which was a great thing. Oh, no, no kidding. Yeah, because you would think that a lot of a lot of the naysayers would think, oh, this is going to completely transform the entire department. We'll start doing everything online, you know, and all of that. But that's great. (laughs) There's there still is some of that. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, and and Chris, what's been your experience sort of developing courses and developing things um, at Tarleton? Well, a lot, it, the on, just to kind of piggyback on the online conversation, my, I, I would have thought, I don't know, maybe five years ago, uh, that I would be doing more studio classes online. I know that when we developed the digital media curriculum, they, there was interest in making it fully online. And then our school really it pulled back a lot on online courses recently, and it surprised me. I think it, a lot of it had to do with you know students not doing well in the courses. Like they they for example, freshmen and sophomores can't take online courses anymore. They have to be a junior senior level, and we only do online courses now in the university core classes. So like for example, I teach two sections of art appreciation during the summer online. You know it's a very similar experience to Peter's. Like I have students from all over the country. Uh, it's a very enjoyable class. I think the uh, discussions that the students get that we that we we can participate in. I don't know if it's because you know students are feel safer on their computers, but they just they they reveal more to discussions. I think I I also kind of personally enjoy it because you know they're it's new discussions and I can sort of talk about anything or at least I can break out more than I do in my in my courses at school uh, with my majors. So. I enjoy it. I've never had to develop those studio course, and that, I was very interested in what Peter had to say. In terms of developing curriculum in general, it's been kind of like my experience as a teacher. Like I came to Tarleton, and you know, thinking maybe I would just be a, a cog in the wheel of this system. I was just happy to have a job. You know, when I was twenty twenty nine <laughs> at the time, so so it was like uh, eight years ago, seven years ago. I still feel like I just started. Uh, it's hard to even say that. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it was very similar. They just said, you know, we want – I mean, we, we kind of talked about it in our interview, the interview process. But, you know, I just sort of realized very quickly that uh, I would have the ability to handle and change, change the curriculum, create new curriculum and all that. And I just kind of had to go – you know, I had no experience in graduate school doing that per se. Uh, but like teaching, I just had this experience of, go, you know, looking at other schools and what the curriculum offered and what worked and what didn't and, and just being able to apply that. It was a lot like learning how to teach, you know, you just kind of learn from experience. And I think for me, that was the most challenging thing about online was, was that I never had the experience to go on. So I remember the first time teaching online, I, I was just like, is this even working at all? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I couldn't imagine that I could sit in my boxers on my couch and like be doing anything productive, like for the students. And, you know, my feedback would be great. Like they would all say, wow, you spoke to us more than other teachers. You replied to all our discussions. Like, and I was just, 
I, a lot of it, I was just, you know, nervous that they didn't weren't getting anything from it. So, but yeah, curriculum. I mean, it, it's curriculum's a big, big deal here. Um, we're still, we're still cha- We change the curriculum every year, and the sort of ambitious young instructor in me hopes that we continue to do that. That we're always looking for new ways to um, to change our curriculum to serve our students the best. But this, at the same time, like the sort of pragmatic, experienced instructor in me now uh, is wondering why I give myself such headaches. <laughs> by changing the curriculum yeah. every year, <laughs> you know, because I had to advise like a hundred students and they all have like different degree plans. They all have taken different courses. It's just like, it, it can be, it can be difficult. Um, luckily we're, we're, we've grown a lot recently with our student enrollment, but we're, we're, we're still small enough that students can have that sort of one-on-one attention to detail in terms of their advising, but it can be a little bit of a headache. That's for sure. I spend hours a year, a semester, probably a, maybe especially at the beginning of the school year. I've never added up the hours, actually, but I'm, just, I'm trying to think of how many hours I spend on curriculum development. It's a lot, for sure. Well, and I think one thing that seems to come up a lot at com- conferences and things are, are just this conversation about, you know, how do you know when to change the curriculum or how do you know when to update something or when to spice it up or, or how much or all, all of those kinds of things I think are just super challenging. And how, how do you guys find find a way to sort of navigate that, whether it's online courses or whether it's face-to-face courses. This is Peter. So, yeah, I, I completely agree, uh, Chris. I think that's that's always a challenge is that, you know, do I give myself that headache? Do I, you know, give myself that headache and continue to improve? Or should I see how long this, like, works? And that's the way I kind of take it as a, in my own classes. I, I I really feel that I should always be, improving and updating content as far as like curriculum goes we just i guess for the past three years we had been working on a a bfa degree curriculum and we pitched it to the university and we got it this past spring and our fall and spring was our first group of incoming bfa students and you know developing their four-year plan was an eye-opener for me and I think it also was a really great sort of like spark for the studio arts area and you know with that I think it filters into all of the classes that we teach you know throughout foundations as well as upper level courses like I said I always think that you know, instructors should be improving. You know, we should always be taking and assessing and addressing those questions that we get throughout a semester and the results that we get and, you know, tweaking what we need to to uh, respond to the service for the student. You know, if we are stuck in our ways, we're kind of, you know, we're not growing and we end up eventually, you know, just getting the same results which might be a, a, a bad thing. So that's that's the way I kind of approach it. I think really it's it's part of my job to continually change what I do uh, and to improve upon it. Great. What, what are your thoughts, Chris? I think that curriculum, the way it's changed at, at Tarleton um, over the past few years has a lot to do with just the fact of, you know, the, the amount of collaboration that we have had in the faculty has allowed the curriculum to change. Like it's, for example, the curriculum that I wrote for the digital media studies program in like 2011 was the curriculum that I felt like I could implement with the help of, of, of what was being offered at Tarleton. Like, I mean, with, you know, the, these are the courses I could teach. These are the skills I can bring. And then this is what's going on at Tarleton that students can take. And it was very much like my, even though I, I work with other faculty to develop it, I was trying to just work with what we had. 
And so far, that's changed. We've, we've hired new faculty. And I want the new faculty to be a part of the curriculum development. And I just want us to really focus on the strengths of what the faculty that we have. Like, some of our faculty is stronger in some areas. And, you know, s- sometimes because of that, like, we, we should just be honest and say, this is where our curriculum is heading. This is, like, our focus. And sometimes that means we're weak in some areas. And you just have to be honest about what you can provide for students, I feel like, to give them the best you know, value for their education. Um, but it, it, I think you know, the curriculum is kind of like the creative process. Writing a curriculum can often give you more questions than it answers. You know? it, can, it can lead us down unexpected roads, and we, we constantly struggle with like, the questions of, of, of what are we, what are, you know, progress? Are we doing things the right way? Are we serving our students the best? What does it mean to have a BFA degree in art? And like what you know, what, what is that, what, what are the skill sets and the success, the areas of success that we should expect our students to have, um, or, or the, the areas of expertise that we should expect a student to have with that BFA degree? Those are, those are tough questions. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I do want it to always be something that we, we consider when we change. Um, and, you know, as we grow, that's definitely going to happen. I think, I think we're at a pretty exciting place right now. We just, we actually just hired a foundations coordinator, and, oh, great. And, and along with some of the other new faculty we've hired, I mean, I feel like right now we're just we're just at the precipice of, of really, really shaking things up. So we'll see what happens. That's that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, like our foundations courses in the past were just, you know, they were just the prereqs to take the upper level courses. And when I first came here, our department only had about 30 majors or so. We were really focused on painting and drawing. You know, I was sort of brought in as the quote unquote digital media guy and we added photography and digital media courses and you know it was just listening to what this it was kind of a combination of listening to what students wanted you know what I wanted the art program to be we hired video game design instructor animation you know it's it's the, the school's been very supportive of the digital media area they're they're a little bit they drag their feet a little bit in terms of hiring fine art faculty but we uh, luckily have, have been able to add two of those as well hopefully both the digital media and art areas you know will help each other grow and it's 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 actually weird. Now I'm the oldest faculty here, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's a really really weird idea because I still feel like I just started. Like I want people to think like, oh, he's a new guy, he doesn't know anything. But you know, it's the other way around. I have to mentor these kids. <laughs> I say kids. Some of them are older than me, but it's weird. It's it's totally weird. Old yeah. man Ireland. Old man Ireland. There you go. <laughs> oh, even know. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's a good sort of segue. Un- unplanned segue into sort of thinking about, you know, what does foundations look like at your particular, you know, institution and sort of what does that mean and, and sort of looking at foundations, you know, beyond just sort of the prereqs that everyone has to sort of slog through, but sort of how are they organized and, and, and what is what is foundations, you know, sort of where you're at. Um, so, Peter, do you want to tell us what that looks like for you? Sure. Well, I mean, we have pretty much all the, the old favorites, drawing one and two, and 3D and color theory. But with uh, this newly formed school of design that we're in, which incorporates other design-related fields like architecture, landscape design, interior design, uh, and art education, studio arts, graphic design, we've developed a new kind of immersive design one course which is actually kind of fluctuates around like 120 to 125 students in this giant kind of workshop very similar to the wash program that you run valerie oh yeah Uh, yeah yeah so it it really is uh we've we've looked at the foundation 
courses, not only just as courses in themselves that teach like a skill set uh, or, you know, a, a, a knowledge base that we want students to have before they go to upper level classes, but we're also looking at it as this experiential thing for them. So uh, we have that design one course where students, you know, are making two dimensional things, but they're also making three dimensional things and they're making digital things. They're uh, working collaboratively. They're, you know, getting out there on the campus with other areas and with that design one course the spring follow-up is actually a creative cognition class that all the foundation students take and that kind of looks at everything that's kind of talked about in design one and some of the other foundation courses but really kind of gets into the theory of creation and the development of projects uh looking at the idea process you know so it's it's this uh cumulative experience along with the knowledge base that our foundations program I think has at its core uh, which I think you know you see a lot of schools I think around the country kind of moving into that way of teaching uh, foundations or having a foundations experience for their incoming students. Wow that, that sounds really cool so that creative cognition class is that a course that is mainly like a seminar course or is it do they make things in that course or is it more like writing driven no it's it's all of the above they i think they generally will have a, a day of seminar and then they'll have uh maybe two days of studio or maybe it fluctuates where they have two days of seminar and then they have a studio but uh it's team taught they have you know a bunch of different instructors and visiting instructors um, i should say the design class is also team taught so they'll have different instructors from the different areas so you know studio arts working with graphic design instructors with architecture instructors so uh, it's not just one discipline's sort of take on design Mm. or on the creative act Uh, and I think that's really beneficial and again it's the first year that we've taught it so we have some results back and I think generally the experience has been really wonderful work's been strong but uh, we'll see how it develops over time as it grows wow that sounds really exciting yeah yeah it does no it's it's a pretty cool place to be in I'm I'm interested in in talking with our new coordinator about ideas like this because I feel like you know we have we we need that type of injection of creative thinking um, in our in our degree plan because we also have a very very classical design uh, design one to drawing one and two painting one kind of degree plan and I have all sorts of questions about you know do we need to focus these courses on disciplines specific disciplines should they have titles like creative cognition or theory of, of art making or something like I don't, I, I'm very interested in that idea. I think that's what interests me about foundations is it's, it isn't oftentimes anyway, even, even if the class is like drawing one or design two, the kid, the students are doing projects that aren't really tied to a specific discipline and the possibilities are wide open. Our students, they do work outside of the department. They're, they're required to take computer programming in their first semester, creative writing, second semester. Uh, so I, I am interested in them working with other areas of this. I mean, we work, you know, we're at a state school, so I'm interested in really maximizing that the potential for that as well. But the nice thing about being at Tarleton anyway is that if a student has like a need for a, a, a let's say, for example, they want to learn a piece of software or something for a, a, an idea or a project, you know, we can we can talk about that in the foundations courses and they can go take that course over in computer science or, you know, we try to leave a lot of um, 
electives open for students to major in other areas if they want to learn. They want to, if they figure out they want to be an illustrator and they take our illustration courses and, and painting, uh, you know, we might also suggest that they, they do some, you know, freelance business courses or whatnot to just go along with it. Like, I have no problem with, with them sort of thinking about, you know, how they can use this degree for their, the best of their ability. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, yeah. I think what's, what's, what's exciting is that, I mean, there is sort of this, this trend towards thinking about foundations as not just like this thing you have to sort of like slog through, you know, before you can take the really important classes, you know? And so I think it's, it's exciting. And I think seeing all the, there's all these postings over the last few years for coordinators and what does it mean to be a foundations coordinator and do you have to have one and how is that different than, you know, teaching foundations and and I think all that's really curious. And so how did your department, Chris, like decide that they needed a coordinator and, and what does that person do you think they'll be doing? Well, I think the discussions that we're having is that we we're interested in having the students sort of have like a, a pass like a pass or fail part of, of the, of the, you know, sort of, or an, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, some sort of, some like kind of review or some kind some of, kind of review, yeah. some kind of, right, audition to get into the, um, the upper level courses. I mean, we just, I teach the senior portfolio capstone course at Tarleton. And oftentimes I just feel like students are, uh, you know, just haven't had the opportunity or a little bit behind in certain areas, or it, there's just such a, there's such a fluctuation. Some students, uh, for example, are you know ready to dive into reading, uh, you know, certain certain art art history texts or whatnot. And some students that are just they just don't have the skills to be able to to write well, for example, or talk good. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's just it, it was I was just trying to I was just trying to think of a way to kind of level things off, or at least at least to create some sort of rubric that. Um, we could be like, okay, when students are at this age of the depart- of the area, uh, you know, we can this if, if they're, once they're passing their their sophomore classes, that we can somehow track their progress. And I guess I'll I'll kick this question back at you. I was just curious as to how uh, both Peter and Val, if it's okay, like to sort of how that works in your departments, because I want to be able to set up this review, but I felt like in order to do so, like we needed we needed another person uh, to sort of handle, you know, writing out that that curriculum and and, and monitoring them. And I think too, like if we're going to have a mid career review, you know, how are we going to work with with it with a program that has transfer students, for example, like we have, we, you know, we're about half transfer students, most students mm. uh, here come, it, it's not like an art school where everybody has to come in freshman year and stick the whole way. So there are just so many, like, I guess, practical concerns and like, where do students go if they don't pass and things like that, that, you know, I kind of, <laughs> to be honest, I, I wanted someone else to do it. Like, I was just sort of like, <laughs> I could make this work, but I didn't want to half-ass it, you know, like, because I'm, I'm doing so many other things. Like, I felt like this was something that this could be, you know, the, the, the legacy of, of a new position. Like, and if they can come in here and make this work, it would be a great, uh, I think, a great experience. Much like, much like I had when I first got here and sort of building digital media studies program was a big confidence builder for me as a young educator. I think that I just felt like, you know, this would be a great project for someone younger and hungrier, you know, I guess. I will say I feel for you, Chris. I'm, I, I, I haven't functioned as an advisor, but I know that is a big challenge. I mean, especially when you're looking at uh, transfer students or you're looking at courses that are a half credit or one credit. And it's like, how does this all shake out? to a viable graduation plan for this individual getting back to like that question of how do how do you 
assess someone in their sophomore or junior year as they move into uh, higher level classes. One of the things that we do at SDSU is we have a, you can call it a practicum or kind of a, a sophomore review, junior review. And within those reviews, uh, it's a one credit course where we talk about some of the professional pr- practice aspects. You know, we're you know, since we've developed the BFA program, this has been looked at quite extensively in regards to what it is we want to teach them at that at that level. You know, so like sophomores are going to need exposure to, uh, you know, looking at artist statements. Maybe they're, you know, they definitely need exposure at documenting work. They need exposure mm-hmm. in profession, our best practices for displaying different types of work. And so that's what we kind of cover in there. And then as they move through to junior or, you know, uh, whatever level credits that they need their junior year, that's when we start looking at, okay, how do you market yourself? How do you get yourself out there? You know, what type of places should you be looking at and how do you contact them? How do you interact with them? And then it all culminates in that senior review, you know, thesis show. Oh, that's that's great. So they have that sort of experience, at least in like an introduction at their sophomore year. So they kind of get their feet wet a little bit with thinking about professionalism and sort of how, how to do this thing and how, how to be an artist and, and all that good stuff. That's right. That's right. Oh, great. And yeah. do you guys have some kind of like a, like assessment where they have to put all their stuff on the wall and you as faculty look at it? Or Yes, yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll have a, a sophomore review. And in the past, what it's been is, uh, you know, works, examples of works from the foundation's area, you know, a certain number per class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always been two faculty that sit down with the student review. And we have certainly a rubric that we kind of run through and, you know, that all gets their score gets tallied up and you know if they don't pass then they have to take that class over again before they can graduate so it you know we've had seniors that are getting ready for their thesis show and they're (laughs) also having to reproduce some of their foundations work because they mishandled it or lost it or something like that and they didn't pass their first go around so it's uh it's something that we require everyone i think it's a nice check for our students and the progress of of us as instructors too you know are Mm. they are they getting the knowledge that they need to Are, are we okay on signing off on this absolutely i think it's crucial that we sort of are held accountable to make sure that we are doing what we promise that we're doing for them yeah. you know but that, also that it's, it's not just smoke and mirrors yeah but also a lot less terrifying to do that midway through their career not not when they're about to leave <laughs> yeah right exactly. right but, absolutely because there's nothing more yeah worse than than feeling like you're graduating someone who's not ready again i that's something i've learned yeah that's yeah. a tough one yeah, yeah. And, and and at sam houston just to sort of answer your question Chris we have um we do have a portfolio review at their sophomore year and that is after they've gone through the sort of first year experience of the foundations which would be nine hours of of wash which is workshop and art studio and history um a little bit of 2d 3d a little bit of lecture stuff um in terms of contemporary art and then three hours of drawing one and three hours sort of of an intro to digital media sort of course and then they have to come back to the wash building put up all their stuff on the wall um they can put up four drawings two 3d works two 2d works and then two pieces that are maybe we look at it on the computer or it's projected or something like that that demonstrates skills in digital media and then the faculty go through and vote 
and we have a rubric and we, you know, have some discussion and uh, the students are not present. Um, they just have sort of numbers up on the wall. So we're, we're not thinking, are they an animation major? Are they photo? Are they uh, studio? So it ends up just, you know, a, a really, hopefully a really honest look at, you know, what's, what's really happening. Do the, do the student, and then what happens if they fail their review? Like, do they take it, take a course again? Are they? No, they, um, they just have to go through the review process again. They get written feedback. We we try to do a good job of giving them not, not just a number or a yes or a no, but some kind of indication of, Hey, you know, here's some areas that were really strong. Here's some areas that were, you know, could, could use some improvement on and here's perhaps why you didn't, you know, uh, you weren't as successful as maybe you could have been. And so they get that information back and then they, uh, the, the next semester, um, they would then go through the review process again. And they're encouraged to seek feedback, you know, from the art faculty, you know, one-on-one to sort of sit down and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about putting in these four drawings. What do you think? Um, are these are these my best? Because I, I think it's, it's challenging for students. I mean, I never went through a BFA review. I think it would have been really difficult for me to even know what, what are my best drawings? What's my best piece that shows right. my understanding of color? You know, I don't well, know. I, think, I, th- I know our students are kind of spooked by the whole comp. Like when when things turn into a competition, like it really it really gets to them because I feel like up until that point in high school, especially in a rural area, I'm, I, just from my experience, I'm, I, in high school they never had this sort of competition, or if they did, they were always sort of the head of it. You know, they were like the mm-hmm. best artist, yeah. small town Texas. But then like they come here and then we introduced this idea of competition and it's just very interesting. You know, all of a sudden it turns into a reality show. Like students are talking about one another behind their back. And it's like, this is very, it's it. And and I think, I mean, obviously that's like part of, that's part of, that's part of, you know, what we deal with. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a competitive field. It's a competitive world out there. I do. I, I wonder, I mean, I have, I have seen students shy away from that before um, or at least, not not handle that as well as others, and obviously, like that's that's just part that should be part of the curriculum. This is it's just it is an interesting process to think of all the ways, and this is the challenge of making a curriculum. Like, do you do you accommodate a student who can't decide what drawings they pick, or do you challenge them to to come up with the answer on their own? Do you do you give a student like at W at WSU? We all had that experience, of, or at least we were all familiar with their BFA certification process, and they sort of had like. You could get a BFA degree, or you could just get a lesser BA degree. I guess mm-hmm. is sort of the way it was. And and I don't know if I, don't know if I want to do that, but I can certainly see why that that I process makes sense. I mean, they they have it pretty streamlined now. So yeah, it's it's a very it's I I think these are great discussions though because um, it just goes to show how important foundations just become. You know, in that in that uh, in the curriculum. I mean, it makes it makes everything so much easier to to have a good foundations program. And I think that you know we're a little bit behind here just because. Uh, you know, again, we just didn't have the faculty to be able to collaborate on such a project. But now that we do, you know, that's certainly going to be a, hopefully a main focus of our of our curriculum process next year or next three in three weeks <laughs> when school starts. <laughs> yeah. Don't remind us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and I think it's just it's easy when you're teaching foundations to sort of think you're on an island, you know, and feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this thing. And, and then they go off to this world of advanced courses and it can, there, there can be that sort of disconnect of a feeling like how do these things go together and how are we really teaching the whole student and all of that. And so I think that that assessment or that kind of portfolio review can, can sort of help to get 
professors that are teaching advanced painting or what have you involved in what do I want my students to know and what do I want them to kind of come into these courses uh, understanding? And so I'm curious then, how, how did you guys get involved in, in FATE? Mrs. Peter, I'll mention that uh, I had a colleague that was a uh, presenter, I think at the uh, 2013 conference, and, you know, he came back and we talked about it, and it sounded like, you know, it was this incredible kind of rejuvenating experience for him. And, you know, after, you know, finding out that you were involved, talking with him, I, you know, couldn't wait to... uh, to go to the next one. And so colleagues of mine and myself, we wrote a session and we all presented in a session there at Indianapolis for the tectonic shifts. And, you know, I got to see you again and see Chris again, which was great. And then I, I guess, what was it? Uh, last spring, I came down to uh, the regional event that you and Sam Houston State University hosted. Uh, which, again, was, you know, extremely fun. It was great making contacts and, again, really rejuvenating in regards to my career as an as a instructor and, you know, also rejuvenating as my career as an artist. Um, I think, you know, again, I, I see fate as this wonderful kind of circuit of discovery, you know, finding ideas to, you know, uh, picking other people's brains or, you know, sitting in on sessions. But I also find it is really nice to have some confirmation of the things that I might be doing right or the university might be doing right. So it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I don't remember exactly where I I and this is Chris, by the way, I, I don't remember exactly where it uh I found out about it for the first time. I know it was at some point during WSU, so I'm going to assume it was you, Valerie, um, because I know you were involved as a grad student, were you not? Or a- um, Sort of. I, I'd heard about it, and then when I um, eventually came to Sam Houston, I, um, I, I went to a conference as an adjunct, which was really wonderful yeah. to, to be supported and, and get to do that. And then I want to say you came to a regional that I was at or something. Yeah. yeah. The, first, the first fate thing i attended was a regional um but it was a couple of, i mean yeah, i was like five years ago or five so years ago, yeah yeah uh but but i you know that was obviously really great um and i and i really wish i could have attended the one this year and so yeah i i know you've been a strong supporter um and you've invited me to some panels and i've and i've i've gotten you know to go on my own and i'm going to be going next year too i I just I I really like the group. I I've been uh, I go to other conferences. You know, we have like the uh, the big photography educator conferences, and we have um, you know the college art uh, art association. I, I just feel like fate for some reason is a more like a relaxed, and uh, I guess maybe because there's less like emphasis in fate about upon like professional development. Like for example, at College Art Association, like everybody's like a lot of people are there to get like interviews, mm-hmm. and, and at the photography conference, everybody's pushing their portfolio for exhibitions. Like I feel like at Fade, it's just it's just more casual. Like we're all teachers and we're all the same, and we're all just kind of hanging out and just discussing ideas. So I think it's a very, you know, even though that like foundations isn't purely what I do, it's it's a it's I've always enjoyed the the group of people that you know you find there probably more than some of the other you know organizations I belong to. I mean they're all great, but yeah, Fate is definitely fun a fun organization to be involved with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like the untucked version of like CAA. You know, it's it's not <laughs> it's not trying to take itself too seriously. You know, but it's very 
open. I, I know that's that's why I got involved and felt like it was just something that was everybody was really honest and they weren't trying to keep all the good things to themselves. You know, it's definitely yeah. a community willing to share stuff and say, hey, I tried this. It really didn't work. What do you think? You know, I, yeah, I, I will concur. I've heard uh, uh, plenty about CAA and I will say there is nothing but love and support at, at fate. <laughs> terrific. Terrific. Oh, well, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, and I, I mentioned that I'm co-chairing a session with another colleague this coming year. It's called Seed House, Cultivating Studio Relevancy in a School of Design. And it's going to kind of be a, it's going to kind of pick up where uh, rural re- relevancy left off last, uh, last time around. Oh, nice. A nice, a nice plug there. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I like it. Plug. <laughs> And, and Chris, you said that you're going to be attending, right? In, yeah, uh, I'm participating in a, in a conversation about art appreciation because I felt like, you know, the, the, I was really interested in the panel who was discussing like how, how do we, how do, how do our faculty doing interesting things with that course? And I think I, you know, I, I was obviously teaching it at the time that the submissions for proposals were due and I was, I was just, you know, I've never spoken about, at least in a public forum, about my experiences teaching art appreciation. I mean, we at Tarleton, we use that as an uh, as a recruiting tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. we we I go all out and sort of in in presenting art as as a as a you know a, a a way to make a living. You know, being creative anyway. Partly just so I mean, I want the students to to feel like they can be creative in in whatever they end up doing. But certainly, we've had many students that have fallen in love with it through art appreciation. And have you know taken our uh, our our courses and gotten hooked. So I think I you know it's an important class for that reason. And I just wanted to you know we're gonna hopefully I'll get to discuss my experience with that a little bit in my um, my presentation. Should be pretty easy though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm so excited and definitely want to just thank you guys for. Uh, chatting today and just being willing to sort of have this conversation and share what what you're thinking about thanks valerie it's always great talking to you guys yeah same here i mean i i are we done already thank you for listening to part one of this episode of positive space if you're interested in being part of fate's ongoing conversations on art foundations visit the fate website foundationsart.org don't forget there's a dash between foundations and art this episode's interview was conducted by valerie powell and was engineered and edited by raymond gaddy our theme music was provided by lee rosevere Please make sure to listen to part two and join us each month for another visit to the positive space.